Okay, next. Why can't men ever apologise? No, fuck that. Not a chance. <laughs> not falling for that one. Uh, I apologise. Uh, we're not going to answer the question. There we go. Done. Apologies accepted. Thanks. Yeah. You're pretty dumb. Oh, I've got to give out my superpower. It's basically Desert Island Disc without the discs. Who the hell do you think it's so quite a bit dick based? I'm just going to walk around corners and drawing. Yep, cool. Moving on. Whether that's instilled socially or economically or politically, people will eventually adapt to it. The freedom fighters are gas. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine, if you will, if you had a jacuzzi, if you were lucky enough. Actually, Matt, you probably have one. Um, a summer evening set in your jacuzzi. What is going to be in your top three playlist of your summer jacuzzi evening? Right, three songs. Three songs, yeah. Well, unless you've got, unless you've got like an album, maybe. <laughs> Instantly, Earth, Wind, and Fire would have to be in there. Oh, good shout! You know, yeah. but I don't mean like aggressive. Funky, I am sort of um, Earth, Wind and Fire, like smooth Earth, Wind and Fire. Yeah. You know, ballady, chilled Earth, Wind and Fire. Light Years, Pearl Jam. Lovely. It's a great song. From Binaural. Okay. It's one of the slower, quieter ones. Yeah, okay. I can't imagine that as a kind of like, you know what, as a, as a summer evening type, you know, over a glass of... Uh, Madeira Pazne. I'm not someone that's used to sitting in jacuzzis and listening to music. So I'm just going to... Okay. So, but I am used to putting on music that I like. So, uh, Okay, all right. Put it this way. Okay, so a um, a pub garden. I'm still putting Pearl Jam on. Don't take this away from me. No. Okay. I don't know if you guys have. Have you seen these um, online YouTube uh, uh, live streams called like Chilled Cow? And things no, like that. No, there's these guys where they have it's constantly online, go on and on and on. And what they do is they get DJs to play live from their like their bedrooms or for whatever and blah blah blah. And they've okay. got about um, twenty to thirty different YouTube channels catering to all these different uh, genres. So there's one which is called music to study to and relax to. Here's another one to fall asleep to. Here's to, you know, summer jacuzzi. I have I have seen some of those. Yeah. Have you ever mm. listened to any of them? They're really no. cool. I wonder how niche those get. Probably pretty niche. I mean, you get you get really niche um, mm. playlists on Spotify. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm feeling really smug. I want smug music. Do you know what I mean? Well, All I'm, hair I'm, metal... <laughs> Maybe there's like a market out there, you know, instead of like heavy metal or like death metal, you'd have like music for feeling smug or, you know, music for recently inheriting lots of money. (laughs) The reason, I mean, the reason I mentioned the Spotify list, I can remember a friend of mine was was looking up these, looking to listen to some music and he went through and he found one that was, it was something like, uh, music to sail your yacht by or something it was so niche and incredibly sort of like god which, which dozen people was this catering to you know I'll tell you a story I made a huge faux pas um, I was yeah courting a, uh, courting a lady courting courting a lady I'm from the 50s you know this um, and <laughs> Nine, um, 1850s <laughs> yeah. it was long so short we got to the point of where we were taking things to, to the next Level, what? Um, bedroom department, Tim. Ugh, fuck off. Come on, come on, mate. Um, hey, everyone's level is different. Tr- fair true. enough. Fair That's enough. True. Okay. I was looking for, I because I didn't really know by that point what her music taste was and all that kind of stuff, and so I I went on to Spotify, uh, no YouTube. I went on to YouTube playlist and things like that, and I said music for bedroom slash lovage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, you know, sure, and all that kind of stuff. You know, because the people, you know, like sexy tunes and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And uh, you know, and all that kind of, you know. Anyway, skip over. Anyway, go over to my folks' house, and we we have a YouTube evening. Me, less forgetting that oh. my YouTube account is connected to their TV, <laughs> so up on their list. <laughs> So that was, uh, I got, uh, so how's the relationship going question? <laughs> <laughs> Things moving quite fast. Exactly, yeah, so that was fun. Uh, um, Tom, do you want to throw any more of your potential jacuzzi jams into the mix? 
Um, I'll say for anything by zero seven. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. But also on the same line, um, probably the the big calm album by Morchiba. Oh, well. that's a lovely choice, mate. Okay, I would also go for Tchaikovsky because he's my fave classical guy. Really? Is that jacuzzi music? So I suppose that because, yeah, we're thinking jacuzzi, evening, summertime, we're thinking immediately re- relaxation then. I, I suppose. Yeah, and chilling I, I guess yeah. so, yeah. But the thing is, though, just I don't want to necessarily feel like happy or relax because like you know like Tchaikovsky is relaxing but uh, to to relax I don't listen to relaxing music no I don't either I don't know whether you guys are the same but like if I'm for example if I'm happy I don't want to listen to happy music and if I'm really sad I don't want to listen to you know I you don't always you don't always match the music you listen to with your mood do you I don't um I I do yeah, I suppose I do, especially if I'm upset. If I'm sad, I do. I think it's, mm. it's that age-old question of that: why is it you listen to sad tunes when you're upset? Or I guess that's that's a good point. Yeah, because you enhance it, don't you? Amplify it to go into to wallow in it. But but there, but there are also mm. some sad tunes that are just damn good music. And I yeah, just, true. So yeah. I listen to them, going, "Well, this isn't about me. I just really like this band and the song." Yeah, mm. it's like um um who is it? Which I thought was really interesting was um Paramore, that. They were they started off as like a very poppy commercial, high schooly type, you know. Oh my god, he slept with this person, you know, band, and then yeah. um, I think as it got older, she started then developing lyrics where it was still upbeat, really fast paced poppy music, but mm. the lyrics are so dark. Churches are a bit like that sometimes. I was thinking about this the other day, like bands changing their style and and bands kind of evolving. Uh, I I I find it kind of funny. They probably don't, but um, what happens when a death metal band, after you actually get it with black metal bands a lot, they release their sort of two or three albums and they're all kind of just visceral and raging and completely vitriolic, and then something will happen and one of the songwriters will start writing in inverted commas, really grown-up music. Mm. So what you have is a band that start producing really intelligent, sensitive, progressive music, but because they've still got a fan base, they're called, like, Groin Explosion. <laughs> but they're <laughs> writing really classical and really intelligent music, like um, Enslaved is a really good example of that. Mm. Um, they just became really sophisticated. Um, uh, Anathema are a really good example of that as well. But all started off as black metal bands, but they can't sort of row back on their name. But their music sounds nothing like their name. Yeah, and I think yeah. that that's actually. I just sort of feel sorry for those bands sometimes because they they can't go back on their name, can they? It's too established. Because when Groin Explosion re- released the EP <laughs> Cuddle Muffin, it doesn't really go, does it? No. No, it doesn't. And like you know, you've done, I do that before. Like sometimes you on Spotify, you 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 look at the name of a band and the connotation and the sort of imagery it evokes, and you listen to it and you think you, you guys really don't need this name. Actually, it's... that's something I I that that is a, something I really don't like. I don't like it when a band has a name that is that imply it from the words they they've used in the band, but the music is so not not that you know because mm. you know if, if what it, examples would you have? Savage Garden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that yeah. was I was not expecting you to reference them ever because they're awful, or they were. If this, mm. but that name, Sa- Savage in a band name, implied mm. something a tad heavier than what they were producing. <laughs> yeah, yes, even at does, the time, yeah. though. Yeah, and so. it also Savage Garden. It, it, I thought that went through a Google Translate, and it's like, did they mean something else? Because it's not pithy. Mm. Savage garbage. Sa- salvage garbage. Sa- <laughs> Did they mean cabbage garden? Cabbage garden. I'm going to start a refuse collection company called Salvage Garbage. And, and our logo could be the recycling emblem. <laughs> but a really savage one. Yeah, black one. So you, um, uh, so, uh, you said Tchaikovsky, but what did you I'd have? have? After the Lover's Gone by Earth, Wind & Fire, I'd listen to the whole of the Nutcracker by Tchaikovsky and emerged like a sort of deformed prune. <laughs> and the third one would be probably Last of the Summer Wine theme tune. Tim? <laughs>
This is going to be a controversial one. Right. Who killed Kennedy? I just instantly feel, Tom, that you you are... you. Well, I'm not saying you're a conspiracy theorist. No, I am. But, I am. But okay, yeah. You you often have sort of alternative narratives to the one that I might sort of rather naively believe on Wikipedia or in a book. So okay. I think you should start this. We don't know <laughs> is, is, the, is the answer. Good answer. Well, that being said, though, there are some very plausible theories. Have which... you seen JFK? I've seen yeah. JFK. See, I, oh, I, I, really, I really like their explanation in JFK. What? Which is when he sits down with um, Donald Sutherland. Oh, yeah. And he just takes him through the entire conspiracy. Yeah. That it was all to do with, basically, the generals not not liking the fact that America was going to put out Vietnam. Yeah, so they won't won't go into into Vietnam. They weren't going to go into Vietnam. And um, uh, uh, Johnson. Johnson? Yeah, Johnson. Basically said, okay, well, if you get... It's it's like the um, uh, Thomas Beckett. Uh, theory, you know, uh, someone rid me of this turbulent priest. Mm. It stems from upon high, and it's gone down the pecking order to eventually a, take him out, if, as it were. a great film, that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I know that it's just such a good film. No, 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 I think it has a, 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 a direct connection to things like that. That I think that did it come from within establishment? Uh, yes, most likely, but that's purely due to huge amount of contrasting stories that have happened this could be a, a three hour long episode i could go into all the different aspects of, of what why but it's this mm. i think there is a there's a general consensus it wasn't just a lone gunman theory it wasn't just as simple as the explanation of that it was harvey oswald's that he was a bit looney tunes and he wanted to be famous and you know the infamy that came with it it can't be there, there are too there are too many loose ends and too many cover-ups within the establishment because if you want the best if you read um the book um best evidence at all if you ever no, come across no. that one at all that will give basically by the end of it you just go oh okay well then this clearly is a conspiracy if it was as straightforward and it was uh, as self-explanatory as they are making it why would they want to hide documentation for a certain amount of years you know so there wasn't available via um public of uh, freedom uh, information act why why would they hide it why would they bother if it was wasn't that <clears throat> well they're hiding behind what was probably standard procedure for anything regarded yeah. as top secret like is it? Do over here. it is incredibly convenient every single time that is because always oh, is national security oh we're not allowed to do that so he's saying right so we're going to hold back 75 years worth of information because of national security so we we find things out about national security every day it mm. it, it, it doesn't it, it doesn't wash yeah, um, that's, um, that's a bit. Feels a bit flimsy, that doesn't it? Uh, well, there were two great theories. One, it's that it was three uh, Frenchmen. I watched a documentary on that of where it was. Um, it, once again, it was like from pecking order, from upon high all the way down, and it was kind of distributed out to assassins like an open contract, and that there was uh, that there were three uh, Frenchmen who were uh, who were responsible, who were basically mercenaries. Who decided to take the contract? Yeah, kind of. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Free willing, or, or assassin, free willing agents, as they were. Um, and yeah, there was a whole documentary of it. But once again, you kind of go, well, why are you on camera saying this? It doesn't make sense. That doesn't. That's. I think that's a bit bollocks. The, the theory is that one of them, because you know, in uh, in America, their kind of like their sewer system or their drains, they've got big open gates haven't they you know for us it's, it's like it's um you can look down into them whereas this one they're kind of like cemented into the pavement right or the sidewalk um that one of them was actually in the sewer line and was actually firing the gun from out of the out of one of the gullies looking upwards and if you look at it so you've got the, the few inches of pavement with the the little the sewer there so you've got that gap that allows the water to pour in but precisely he's sticking a it, gun yeah. out of much better explanation yeah absolutely and that to go um, whereas you look at the angle of where apparently that shot could have been taken from, is directly in line with where the car was and his movement of being hit by a bullet, etc., etc. So that's one very good theory, but maybe it's because it's a, it's not a well-known one. That's why I kind of adhere to it, because all the well-known ones are going, "That's pish." Um, you 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 feel that more obscure theories would be more legitimate. The more information that we know and that has come out 
from a lot of other people, which is theorizing, speculation, wishful thinking, a lot of it. It's that it is it's become just part of the imagination. Whereas then you've suddenly got this very odd, obscure um, theory, which has no thrills. We had a contract to go and do this. We were going to get paid this. Our flights were paid for. Our accommodation was put up. We did all this. And then we were out of the country by the end of the day. It's no thrills. And you kind of think, well, that probably is more realistic, I think. But then there's another theory where... <laughs> okay, I could go on for hours that it was actually in the car behind the Secret Service that a Secret Service agent um, accidentally discharged his gun by a complete and utter accident, which is, again, a very flimsy reason um, or explanation. Uh, but then that would explain why the security services were doing all the cover-up afterwards. So because they thought, shit, we're going to take the, we will get the blame for this. We will make sure it's covered up so that no one will ever find out it or it was an accident and a, and a unnecessary death. So that that's again another kind of very huge, much more unbelievable story. But it's a fun one. Do you know what you were saying earlier about? Um, and it's just nothing to do with um, Kennedy. You know, you were saying um, about. Uh, will no one rid me of this priest? What 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 word do you think he said? Turbulent. Turbulent. Okay, cool. Because I've heard like people say that that got changed to troublesome and meddlesome. Have or you heard foolish. That? Yeah. <laughs> unruly. Troublesome. Is it not? Yeah. yeah. Troublesome. Yeah. Unruly, so yeah. so it's been adapted over time, and yeah. It has. Yeah. I'm just a. I'm just really happy that you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> because a lot of people think it's troublesome, mm. and I, I thought for a while it was meddlesome. I th partly because that's isn't that the word that um, Richard Burton uses in yes. the film Beckett? It's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. Because also, there's another theory that really made me laugh the other day. Um, uh, you know, you know the Beyond the Fringe comedy troupe with um, Jonathan Miller. He he was saying that you know Nelson's final words, "Kiss me, Hardy." <laughs> there's a theory that really made me laugh. And Nelson sort of knew that his time was up. That he, you know, when he took that bullet, he was like, "Well, I must die. I'm going to die now." And apparently, some people think that he leant over to Hardy um, and actually said, "Kismet, Hardy," as in, "It's my destiny. Kismet uh, in the future." Right. So I just it really made me laugh the idea of him saying to Hardy, "Kismet, Hardy," and Hardy just kisses him. <laughs> so he's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> Because he's like, what? What word was that? I don't think that's in the lexicon just yet. <laughs> yeah, but that always made me laugh. That um, that basically N Nelson's last experience on Earth will be getting basically Frenchied by his mate, and he just didn't ask for it. Across time, you know, how many times have you been in a conversation where somebody has said something and you, and you misheard it? That happens a lot. Exactly. Of course, would have happened. In historical moments, it, I, I had a dream. It could have been actually he might have been saying I bedded one of the Supremes. Yeah, um, he, might have, he might have shagged me, Hardy. <laughs> Not now, Hardy. Kick me, Hardy. Kick me, okay. <laughs> Kick me harder. Like for like conspiracy theories that things like JFK and all the rest of it, but it's also to do with the what we are kind of what we're taught and what we're kind of conditioned to know. Okay, well, you know, robotic kind of, like, who shot Kennedy? Fucking uh, Oswald. That's, you know, that's it. There is no other mm. kind of like explanation. There's certain aspects of, like, the, um, like, historical hypotheticals of that if something just slightly altered, we, we wouldn't mm. know. So, if, okay, so here, here's one, which I found really interesting. Rosa Parks, who refused to give up her seat on a bus, which then eventually led to the bus boycotts. However, eight months prior, in 1955, in Alabama, um, there was a woman called um, Claudette Coven who also refused to give up her seat uh, to a white male on a bus, which sparked and caught the attention of the civil rights experts and uh, people who were involved in that community uh, were going to use this woman um, as a highlight to sort of begin the um, uh, the dissemination of segregation, especially in, in in southern Texas and things, and uh, 
but they didn't go with her. Uh, and the reason being was because she was a young, unwedded, pregnant black woman. And so they didn't go with her. They chose not to go because they thought it would send the wrong message with this type of example. And five, six to 12 months later, um, they Rosa Parks happened. And so then they, they went with her instead. Now, there's a very young minister at the time who did it, uh, who caught the attention of the local community to highlight this incident and to use it as an example to say that this is wrong and we are going to start to be opposed to these kind of things. And guess who that guy was? Martin Luther King. So can you imagine in the hypothetical that if they went eight months earlier, Martin Luther King is a pastor that you've never heard of? Yeah. Wow. Do you see what I mean? Those kind of those aspects there of that these mm. slightly sliding door issues that yeah. just the tiniest little event, if you just tweak it in a certain way, we will never meet some of these huge huge you know, mm. who've had huge influences on all of our lives since. But do you not think though, to to coin a, a phrase from my uncle who who says he he used to say like with, with really talented musicians that don't make it this time or that that time he used to say cream always rises to the top like eventually your quality will shine through do you yeah. think someone like martin luther king do you think if those his, if that historical hypothetical hadn't yeah. played out later on he would have emerged anyway it would have done it, it yes exactly gifted man yeah done it in a, in, a, in a different manner or something which will maybe even equally as historic even more so possibly yeah. Uh, but just in a completely different manner. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Maybe. Right. Maybe, uh, maybe that's the, okay. So, but then we're talking about things like destiny, and you know, our oh, so- kismet, Hardy, <laughs> kismet. <laughs> no, that's, a, that's a great place to edit. We've just gone full circle. That's, that'll work. <laughs> right. It's quite aggressive. This it starts off with you have to have. <laughs> yeah, you have to have sex with one non-human character from either Star Wars, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, or another series that you guys can de- uh, debate the best. And then, quite aggressively again, it's got to be said, who's it going to be? Do you know, one thing in, immediately springs to mind when, when I contemplate this excellent question um, is can we include characters from the film franchise Tron? Because well, they're not I, human, are they? They're they're, they're digital. Yeah, because you know. I was I was I, I was thinking because did it say non-human? It says one non-human character. Non-human. Yeah. So I guess it depends on how we're going to define um, non-human. Oh, does can can they be human-looking, but they're from another race in, in yeah. one of these many? Fantasy yeah. series, yeah. Um, yeah, why not? In which case, I don't see why not because Tron sci-fi, so is Star Wars, so is Star Trek, etc., etc. So, yeah. it, but you have to, you you can only choose one, Matthew. Well, Blue. <laughs> not, not Yuri. Uh, no, Yuri is hot, but she's not as hot as eighties Jeff Bridges. <laughs> So that's me done. Um, and I mean, if we're talking Lord of the Rings, you've got to go for Arwen, haven't you? I mean, um, that's just Liv Tyler, isn't it? She's just yeah, yummy. Yeah. How do you do? You feel in terms of Lord of the Rings? Do you do you feel like um, it's it's Liv Tyler or it's um, oh, who played um, Gladriel? Uh, Blanchett, wasn't it? Yeah, Kate Blanchett. Yeah. 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 She does go a bit cray cray, though. You know. She does go slightly dark, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, Although you know, um, I think we're all we've all experienced that before. That's, yeah, fair. I mean, having having recently been drawn into the fantastic Boba Fett and Mandalorian series, yeah, I've I, you... I, I have a, I have a little bit of a thing for Fennec, who yeah. is who is Fett's assassin. Yeah, but she's human. Well, we don't know. Yeah, she's human. Well, she, she's yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, wait, no, she's human, but then she gets turned. Uh, then. Um, not uh, what do you call it? Um, robotic. No, she gets. Ro- She's now cyborg. Yeah, C- certainly in the midriff. Yes, in the, that's, in now, midriff. that's now all pipes and. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but no, I think she was human, wasn't she? Well, I don't know. It depends on what planet they come from. Are we saying humans only come from Earth, or <laughs> is everyone <laughs> on Tatooine question. human? No, on Tatooine is you know, not everybody on is is, is but human, but, 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 human, but there are humans. humans. Yeah, 
There is the um, the one who meets uh, I, I, and uh, apologies to Star Wars fans out there because there, there, there clearly is a name. I'm just I'm not that engrossed. But um, you know, Princess Leia or yeah, not really. Um, however, there is um, she is uh, Jabba's slave. Uh, she and she gets um. Oh, Jabba the um. <laughs> Head tentacles. Yes. The Twi'lek. Yeah. Is it Twi'leks? I, I think they have that. I have but no idea. Yeah, the dancer at the the first dancer that goes down the pit. Yeah. The, yeah. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, In general. Like yeah. I'm with you. And this yeah. is where I've got my love from BDSM has come from. Clearly. You like a woman with because she's, head tentacles. No, because she's chained up. She's, ah. Because she's um, she's all yeah. she's all restrained and stuff. So I wonder. That's a bit. It's a bit dark, Tom. No, no, I'm not saying it's a bit dark. Hey, look, look, look. Hey, <laughs> don't judge me. You know, BDSM can be a very loving and very intimate yeah, okay. thing. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. I'm not judging, um, mate. Kink shaming me. Thank you Sorry. Very much. Yeah. So I'm just, yeah, yeah, I just think I'm just really old and conservative now. Sorry. I mean, it, tell, it, tell, I, I have like a, an encyclopedic gallery of beautiful females in sci fi films, and I chose Jeff Bridges. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's fine. Um, no, does it, does it, I even uh, gave you the. I even gave you a way out with Yuri, and you yeah. went, "No, Jeff Bridges all the way." Yeah, yeah, but but hang on. Important distinction: clue the the bad one. I don't. I don't just mean Jeff Bridges' character. Well, clue in the first one is only around briefly, and then he's erased because he's in the tank when Jeff he's is trying. Tank. When Jeff is trying to. Uh, Hack the master control. No, let's not go start retelling the story of Tron. This, this, yeah, this could, um, yeah. Tim and I, I think it's fair to say, have a have a quite a big, passionate love with Tron, don't we? Yeah, and also you're one of the only people I know who who feels similarly to to me. I don't know that many people that really like Tron. I'd just like to mention one more sort of non-human honey, but I might um like to take out for dinner um this is purely because i sort of was brought up in the 80s and 90s and obviously worship winona rider but winona rider plays anna lee in asian alien resurrection oh uh, yeah and yes. when you find out she is an alien then um obviously that's supposed to be like a oh she's not human but um yeah uh so technically she would be my main uh yeah my main dish is it safe to say though i don't know if this counts or not the Jessica Rabbit. Mm, that is, it's a yeah, a tricky one. Is a car? It's controversial. In the film, it. the world is real, but yeah, I. I, mm, I think you're probably walking some quite sort of tangled moral lines there, mate. What with what Jessica Rabbit? Yeah. Oh, behave! We talk about it. she's hot <laughs> as fuck. <laughs> so am I being really judgy again? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, Tim and I were debating the, you know, the, the lines and guidance of that. Can you class that because it's a cartoon? It's not a franchise oh, or a series right. or anything like that. Maybe, and then you're talking about the moralistics of whether you can actually, you know, make the eyes pop out of a cartoon. <laughs> Maybe it's because it's got the word rabbit in it. It has bestiality connotations. I don't know. Yeah, true. Let's, let's, let's if I said that. Roger Rabbit, you might be on to something. But. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to have to go, okay, well, I'm going to have to go modern then, I think. Um, well, not so much modern, but because of how she's portrayed it in the modern films, um, is uh, Gamora. Sorry, now you've brought that up, that, that was one thing that really surprised me. I, you know, I hadn't paid attention to the cast with the first Guardians, and her sister, um, mm. who is the actual daughter of... Um, of Thanos, Thanos yeah. I had no idea that that actress. I went, oh my god, it's you! You've been Doctor Who. It's yes, that's right. Yeah, I, yeah. I couldn't believe it. Proper shaved her head and everything for yeah. it as well, like commitment. And she still looks hot. See, I, I wasn't when he said non because now you've gone. Uh, you make some Jessica Rabbit. Say, oh god, are we including cartoon series and stuff yeah. like that? Get, Who's um Bugs Bunny's girlfriend? I've no idea. Babs Bunny. Is it Babs Bunny? That was later on. Ba- Babs was Tiny Toons, I think. Oh god. Yeah, no. Um. I think we should sort of stay away from animals. Really, <laughs> I think that's sort of a good, quick, quick life hack. What my colleague just said. <laughs> Don't discuss which animals you want to shag on a podcast. I was saying well, animals, but they're, they're humanized, aren't they? They're, they're, Anthropomorphized. Just said Bugs Bunny's girlfriend. Yeah, that's a bunny. You just 
small, narrow-minded man. <laughs> <laughs> Ridiculous, but when you're like, um, you can't shag animals, and someone's like, "Are oh, you prude?" Yeah, <laughs> that that and the BDSM, and it's like, Tom, your uh, types. Be- I think I'm seeing a picture. It's quite niche. No, I'm just yeah. For me, I'm just saying there are things which you know people you know people turn their nose up uh, 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 Matt, or you know that there could be. Doesn't mean that they have to be sinister. It could be all right. Cart all right. Cartoons, sure. Lisa from Weird Science, Kelly Brook. Non-human. Technically made from a doll. She's not not human, and she's okay. hot. So, and she's got weird ass powers. Yeah, she turns Bill Paxton into something unspeakable. Oh fuck! What's her name in um uh mannequin? Oh, uh, Kim Cattrall. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. But it's human when she's not a mannequin. That's why I wasn't going down that route because I, I could think of some other examples. No, she's a it? mannequin. Oh, okay. She's not human. Okay. She turns human. Air, you know, Ariel from Little Mermaid is the same thing. You've thought about it. You've thought about <laughs> it. Don't lie. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's a, that's an interesting. Okay, right. Here's one for you. Sorry, cartoon again. So Matt, you know, whatever. Um, right, <laughs> Little place. Mermaid. Okay. If you had to, if you if you had to, Ariel, or hear me out, Ursula, when wait, when she turns into um, the other girl, into, when she turns into the young girl who marries um, uh, Frederick. Yeah, Ursula, because she becomes very hot. Yeah, the the the, the, um, the brunette the, the uh, that she turns brunette. into. Yeah, yeah she is. That. Smoking hot, absolutely. Okay, thank you. Right, okay, we're right, we're on the same page. Okay, Sweet. as Tim has avoided the question, we're going to give. We have to come up with some choices. Okay, just to see where it it lays with him. <laughs> Anywhere out of the uh, DC Marvel universe, male or female? We're not judging. No, but it's non-human. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of non yet. DC, I don't know enough non-humans, I don't think. Okay, we'll go for Marvel. Um, uh, but speaking of DC, uh, just very quickly, just and you can't nick this one, though, because no. I'm saying it. Poison Ivy. Mm. She's human. She's human? Yes. How? How could she be human when she can control the elements? What? No, she she controls plant life, but that was after she was given a... M- well, there are a few um, origin stories, but she's human. For someone who doesn't know much of the DC universe, well, I wouldn't count her as, as I wouldn't count her as non-human. I'd count her as human in the same way that Catwoman's human. No, no, Catwoman dresses up in a you know in in gear. And she's got human skills, and they just happen to be very enhanced and very well trained. But yeah, with I, Poison I, Ivy, no, yeah, she, she's just got an abundance of pheromones that that no, that's what she does. And a load of pumpkin seeds the, is what you're saying. She uses for seduction, and yeah. she can also control plants. Is that a human trait that you can? Contr- yeah, but she started off as human. That was the, as the fault of an accident. So I still count her as human. Right. Mm. Uh, okay. In the same way that Bruce Banner got a massive overdose of gamma radiation, I still count him as human. He no. just happens to. Oh, up. would you class him as human? Yeah. No, I wouldn't. No. No. After that, I don't think he. No, he doesn't remain human. He's developed into something else. Mm, he has, he, yeah, he he has sort of non-human qualities. So you would say the same about Spider-Man, then as yes, well. Yes, still count him as human. As human, yeah, he just happens <gasps> to have powers. No, mm. I, can't I mean, otherwise, him. an easy cop out of that one is okay. I just say Wonder Woman, but you know, same same with Jacob Rees-Mogg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's technically human, but he's not, is he? <laughs> Mogman. <laughs> Uh, okay. All right. Should we move on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in complete contrast, a serious question. Girth or length? No I'm kidding. Right. What is the cultural value of professional criticism of creative work? Is there a point to it? That's a good question. It's a very good question. And speaking from you know for the fact that all three of us I would class as pre as creatives and within arts industry. I mean, there's there's going to be something for because when you're saying professional criticism, peop, peop, there are always going to be people who 
say let's call it write professionally for a living um who review upcoming bodies of work mm. for people that you know theater gets reviewed music gets reviewed film gets reviewed so is that professional criticism in which case there is a point to that because one yet yeah, the reviews don't always go your way however it does get it out there so people know about it yeah well that, mm. I suppose that is the question is, so it it, get, is, is there a point to it so it gets the word out but yeah there i would have the caveat of you do get people that criticize things and i think some some people criticize things because they take enjoyment from criticizing things mm. yeah, um, yeah, I yeah think, there are people that are that yeah i think with that with that question though i think it would be really easy wouldn't it um to say all critics are frustrated you know creatives but that, that's not the case i do feel that that criticism is 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 a, is a difficult n nuanced um act i think a lot of people who a lot of people see critics as like just sort of parasites or people that want to kind of project their sort of resentment and hatred onto the creative process but actually i've, I've, I've done a couple of reviews for the little bits and bobs and stuff and it's actually quite a tricky thing to get right so mm. i feel like immediately uh my reaction to that is that criticism that the word criticism is actually quite loaded mm. i think re review yeah review and criticism also are probably synonyms but they're actually not altogether interchangeable criticism is fine if it's constructed offers help in how so you might get some because it's all down to taste isn't it so you yeah. may get someone who goes i didn't like this however what i would like is if the artist or singer or director was a if they mm. made a point of doing perhaps this or that in the future or something. And the reason I'm saying it that way is the fact of just saying, I didn't like this, that's not constructive. That, that, because that can come across as you've given, you've lifted a whole bunch of reasons, well, well, well written, but oh, at so the end of the day, you don't like it. Self-serving. Um, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and, you know, that could be horrible. Mm. Um, I mean... What you're talking about, though, there, sorry to cut you off, I'm just saying, but what you're talking about there is because we're then on the receiving end of that criticism. It's that... Yeah, okay, that's the thing, isn't it? Because we, we know what it's like to receive that criticism on, on that end of that spectrum. But now, seeing it from a punter's point of view, that have I been influenced by certain critics by saying, don't go and see this, or say, it is awful, I've then stayed clear of it and gone, well, yeah, I probably won't then, because I trust that person's, um, uh, their opinion. And, and it's very expertise. difficult to unhear that opinion, isn't it? It yeah. is, yeah. Right. Again, but it depends who it's coming from. For example, like, um, uh, we must all be very familiar with the late um, um, uh, A.A. Gill. Well, oh, yeah, yeah. that was exactly who I was thinking about, yeah. You know, that he had beautiful penmanship, an absolutely mm -hmm. superb writer, but God, was he a bitch for the sake of it? Yeah. It just, just for the sake of it. Um, Brian um, Sewell, the art critic, was it? Brian? Not familiar. I think it's the, the is it the man the manifesto of futurists, the, the sort of the uh, the art movement in Italy, the manifesto of future futurist painters. One of their sort of precepts is regard all critics as useless and dangerous. It was a slogan yeah. that the, the, the Manic Street preachers used. That's where I first read it. And um, when you think about that statement, regard all critics as useless and dangerous, I don't necessarily agree with that. But it makes you think, though, what is the point of yeah. criticism? Yeah. And also, could you actually stomach a really bad review? Would you take it personally or would you be able to treat it as a comment on the quality of your art? It depends on the quality. I think just as what Tim says, it depends on the quality of the actual critique itself. Because I yeah, I think yes. if if you're if you end up being a critic who is known for being spiteful, and actually mm. people applaud the way that you are spiteful, you're not being a critic anymore. You're just being spiteful. But what if it's a really bad review that's written well and isn't spiteful? Would would, would you, for example, Tim as an artist, be able to to in inverted commas accept it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, yeah, I guess you'd have to, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd. I tried to tell myself very, very early on, it's like, yeah, this isn't personal. Particularly mm. when you're, you're, you're sending stuff in and they say, sorry, not this time. So it's, it's not personal because you cannot please all of the people all of the time. So don't try to. But I have had my stuff on display in galleries before. When I used to live in Brighton, the, my stuff, some of my stuff went on display in a gallery there with a whole bunch of other artists. And we got invited to the opening 
me and a, a couple of other guys I knew were there as well and fr- friends and then other half all turned up and we were walking around mill- people milling around having drinks and looking at all the framework on the walls and it was kind of like ah this is what this is like this is all mill-. but I wasn't making myself known who I was because I was really nervous because this was mm. what this was I don't think it was the first time but it was certainly the possibly the first time in Brighton that I had stuff up anyway I can remember someone walking past one of my pieces and it's like, I, I think there were two or three of them together and they were pointing to one of my collages I'd done. I said, oh, I, God, I really don't know why he's done that. I mean, why, why would you combine that and that? Oh, I just don't know. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, and uh, you know, I, I bit my tongue because I, I just wanted to go, because of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I <laughs> but... Yeah. But I, I didn't take it so personally going, oh God, I'll, I'll never draw again. Because I wasn't like that. My my, I, I'm never going to be defeated by just a couple of people who have been drinking for the, for the evening, walking past, going, "That's not my bag." Moving on, because yeah, mm. well, then you, well, you've got to develop an incredibly thick skin to be able to persevere through those kind of things. Yeah. Because I yeah. know people that live and die by reviews and, and and critiques, and that's what they do it for. And that's if it, if that is the case, then fine. That's fair enough. Because you you got to distinguish the difference between receiving critical acclaim or uh, just criticism in in general. But you've got to remember what are you doing it for? Are you doing it for yourself? Or are you doing it for an Absolutely. audience? Yeah. Because we can separate this conversation into going okay, being on the receiving end of it as being the artists itself, or to be um, uh, from the audience point of view. Because mm. any time that I've done anything creative on any level, it's no doubt there is a, a there is a, a self gratification part of it because what I want to accomplish something. Can I do it well? Can I do it the best of my abilities, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. Mm. And then it's for an audience. In 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 my realm, it's to perform for. I want an audience to enjoy themselves and to be entertained and to make them think that yeah. you know, that's my, uh, my mm. want. My but so, sorry, Jim. But, okay. fine, is it? but then it's also then to say, I then crave the reviews. I then crave that because I then I go, oh, I know it's good, or I believe it's good. Audiences have said have said it's good, not just my friends and my family, but you know, stranger audiences when you go across the country touring or something. Right now, it's time to be put in front of people who know what they're talking about, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It, but also, thinking about it, it also comes down to the mark of a good reviewer or a good um, critic is down to that what type of fucking day are they having and still can they write from a non-biased point of view? Can they just go into a place? Because you, mm. you, you're affected every single time that you, you walk into a theatre. Very um, prime, uh, prime example, uh, John Cage's um, Silence, Six Minute Silence that it was then replicated in uh, in New York. Mm. And the review was fantastic, absolutely. And we're talking about silence. If for anybody who doesn't know, it is a six-minute piece of silence. Sure, if you want to call it music, I know people who argue. The same orchestra and the same conductor then took it over to London. And the, then it was reviewed by somebody completely different and said... It was awful. It was truly awful, and it had no place, and it was not needed whatsoever. So, are we then talking about the difference of the type? Of, and you're yeah. talking about the mm. atmosphere of in that room at that particular time for for that. If we're talking about that particular also, piece, also does the reviewer of the first one is willing to accept that if you can review something that is essentially a series of sounds, then can you review something by those standards to have a complete lack of sound? Yeah, so the first but, again, review, but you're not reviewing it on sound. You're reviewing it on well because then on effect or. Um, but if you have a six-minute silence, yeah, yeah, but once impact, yeah, yeah, but once there's somebody coughs in the middle, you know, you've got six-minute silence, and then suddenly you've got somebody who does a <laughs> Does that ruin the experience, yes. or do, or does it add to it? Yes, because it's six minutes of silence, and you've just added sound to it. <laughs> yeah, but again, you can't help it yeah. because it's an audience. You know, you can't then tell the audience off to go. Excuse me, you've got to remain in utter and utter silence. If someone's got a cough, they've got a fucking cough. I love the idea of John Cale throwing people out of his audience. If yeah, anyone coughs during six minutes of silence. I think the other the other thing that interests me actually, uh, just as someone who's like just released a piece of music, is when I 
was was getting feedback or people were, were texting me and saying i've just listened to your new album you know people were saying oh that's great or i like that song there are two things really like firstly one of my mates I got this like lovely day of everyone texting me saying, oh, it's great. I've just heard your new album. It's really good. Well done, blah, blah, blah. And one of my mates just went, that's not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, cool. and Matthew killed I, him. I, I, yeah, <laughs> but do you know what the thing was? I was I was like, it just like started, really got under my skin. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, and and then I texted him and I uh, he, he probably did exactly the right thing to wind me up even more. I said, oh, because he's a musician. Um lovely bloke quite quite candid i just said oh what was it and he was just like oh it's just not a thing <laughs> it's like yeah why yeah <laughs> and then absolutely. i realized what i wanted him to tell me what i wanted to know was why he didn't like it but what would i have done yeah exactly nothing yeah. but it would have possibly given you a bit of closure if you'd had a bit of an explanation of why i mean he said it's not really my bag it's not the type of music i listen to Mm. me personally i would have accepted that because in the same way that if someone says tim i can see that the the technical the sort of technical side that you you go into with with some of your illustrations but it's it's not my bag and i am well aware that it's not it's not always people's bag and i i've always accepted that because i'm mm. not doing it for them if people happen to like my stuff that's brilliant but i do it for me first yeah, that's an important distinction, isn't it? Because someone someone said that to me last year, actually. Uh, they, they were saying, like, oh, what are you doing creatively? And I was like, oh, I'm just doing some music. And we were doing uh, we were doing uh, amendments, the, uh, the play. Mm. And um, he was like, so what are you doing all this for then? <laughs> and I said, like, well, what do you mean? And he was like, well, yeah, what are you doing all these all these projects for? Is it for, like, you know, do you want an audience? Do you, do you want a claim? Do you want to get famous? And I went home and I thought, I don't know. Oh really? Well, that's an interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, there but could, don't there could you be love a bit it of as well? All of those. But I, I guess the the thing I'm circling back to is we like hearing reviews when they're good. Mm. But if they're bad, if someone said that production is 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 awful, it's too much trouble, it's too tinny, there's there's not enough middle eights, the the songs aren't doing X, Y, and Z. I can't change any of it. So no, because there's already out I there. I can't. Yeah, yeah. So so what's the point of well, because you because you then learn from the, from those reviews, you then either well, there's a choice there of whether you listen to the negative reviews and then you then go right. I'm going to learn from my mm. mistakes and I'm going to uh, reinforce my uh, talent. I'm going to practice more for whatever. There's all of that aspect, but also because there there isn't you know, and there's no denying it. And I, maybe Tim, that you might not fall into this category. I don't know, but I'm, I'm a slag for an audience. Yeah, me too. I, you know, I can't deny that. It's a case of, you know, that I'm, you know, cause I, I'm, I'm certainly doing it because I want to entertain. I want to get some form of acclaim. It just, mm. it, for me personally, it's not, I don't want it for, from a professional critic. But like, exactly like I said, but if it's good, mm. I'll gladly take it. If I get, you know, a five-star review for it, then I'll be like, thanks very much. And, you know, and, oh, good. A prime example you you and I, Matt, we were doing a production a few years ago, and our usual um, or our typical route for doing things is that we would write the play, we would rehearse it, and then we would then perform it within our hometown of Exeter. Mm. And it would always be okay because it would be friends and family that would come, and that you know that you would receive some very nice comments, and people would laugh for the sake of because they know who's on the stage and all that, you know. You, you but get, also it was genuine. I'm sorry, I'm, yes, I'm sure there are, you know, it, it is genuine, of course it is. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's fake, but it is certainly um, emphasised, it's certainly amplified. But we took the different route, and we took it um, straight to Bristol mm. um, uh, this yeah. show, just to go and test it straight away on a stranger audience to see if it works. And the first night we did it, died absolutely died it was a comedy drama they were doing and it absolutely died and i remember you and i were very nervous yeah thinking well we thought it was funny we thought it made something but oh bugger we've made a huge mistake here second night riotous laughter and if you know there, there were more in the audience again i'm talking you know an atmosphere is, is a big, big part big, big part of it whatever the reasons are but I remember distinctly, you and I, after because you were performing and I was doing the um, the sound and stuff, and we bumped into each other outside the venue, mm. and we just looked at each other, and we didn't have to say anything, 
no words or anything we just kind of just looked at each other and just went yeah that's it yeah. and we just knew and we just from that moment on we thought right we know we're on to something good now so that there gives you a measure and a mark of better than any professional critic is ever going to give you the audience uh, the audience and, that, and, and that's absolutely. what it comes down to and, and that gets mentioned on quite a big uh, like some of the, the movies with really in on like DVDs where you get the in-depth makings of yeah, yeah there's yeah. always a section which is like audience reaction yes and, yeah, and, they, yeah, and they said yeah. what they you know they said what they would uh, were doing you know um, it's like with Alien when that first came out mm. and, and various members of cast and crew were, were going around various cinemas around the country oh filming all the uh, and, and well just taking note and just seeing how the audience oh, uh, okay. uh, you know and whenever sort of John Hurt starts to get chest pains. Um, you know, but in some, you know, in some cases, people started running from the theatre. Yeah. Because, yeah. And, and they just went, we've done it. Mm. I would I would also suggest as well, as long as, like, the, the, the reviewer that Tim was sort of describing, that sort of spiteful, unconstructive reviewer, as long as you didn't have one of those, I would, I would argue that if you got a bad review from a half-decent reviewer, it you'd probably have to accept that it was true. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Mm. There, there's a very big chance that if you got a bad review for whatever, there's a degree of truth in it. But also, what if it's isolated? If you've got several bad reviews similarly themed, then you'd have to start taking stock. But if yeah. you get one bad review, but the majority of them are very positive, mm. then you might want to consider going, Did they, were they just having a bad day? Because... No one else is saying this. Is there any point to it? Um, yes, but with a list of caveats. Yeah, so I think it's, it's to say yes, but then if it is to offer or to make aware that where you can strengthen it or where it, it is possibly a negative and where it could be turned into a positive. If it offers something more than just it's bad. Of course, you've got the other option of, of having faith in your ability and faith in your project to say no i don't agree with that reviewer absolutely yeah no you're, you're wrong I, I disagree so there's there's also that to, to work through as an artist isn't there subjective as as ever mm. um but one thing i, was, I will tell you <laughs> at the same time that when i have received a bad review or a very indifferent review those are the ones that stand out for me you know and mm. those you know you don't, you don't forget them do you no. bad reviews no because then i see it as an opportunity to learn from it as well to thinking oh okay but that's what i was going to ask have you had have you taken any negative reviews and been able to do something better next time of whatever no is never criticize <laughs> i refuse <laughs> <laughs> Hey everyone, this is Tom from the Three Dumb Fighter podcast, and if you're listening to this, that means you made it all the way through to the end, so what the hell's the matter with you? Feel free to tune into our previous episodes, which you can find on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you might have a question, or a topic, or maybe some agony aunt advice that you require, why don't you send them in to us at either Facebook or Instagram at Three Dumb Fighters, or you can email us directly at threedumbfighters at outlook.com. Until the next time, cheers. The Three Dumb Fighters podcast.